everyone, this is John Gunter. I'm the preaching minister at the Eagle Community Church of Christ in Mont Bellevue, Texas. Uh, we're so glad that you have found this podcast, and we'd like to invite you out to our church. You can find out just about anything you need to know at eaglechurchofchrist.com. Uh, you can find our, our times, location, all of that good stuff. And uh, we just continue today in our series on uh, we've called Emmanuel, uh, a study of God's dwelling places. Last week we talked about the garden and creation, and this week we talk about how God came down uh, and, and lived in a tabernacle among his people. Uh, I, I really hope that you will listen to every episode of this series. I think it's very important. So if you missed last week, I'd, I'd urge you to go listen to it and, and catch all four of these um, if you can, because it is, as I say, very important for us to understand. Anyway, thanks again, and here's the sermon on the tabernacle. Paul, and even in the second service, I'm still never leading that song because those last couple of notes there. It is. Uh, we had a, when we lived in Texarkana, we had a guy named Chuck Richardson that lead that, and had a very musically inclined family. And his wife taught music and all this kind of stuff, so taught singing, and uh, we were blessed to have people that could sing it. But I knew uh, on Wednesday night, if y'all ever request that. Paul's going to have to step back up. Uh, <laughs> not going to be me. Uh, we're thankful again that you're here. Um, uh, so glad to just be in this time of year. I was talking to some people last service where it just feels like you can get out and do something right now. So that always brings me some energy uh, in my life. And hope, hope you, hopefully you're experiencing the same, even with the Texas shirt on. Uh, <laughs> I won't say that. It, we, Arkansas plays Alabama this week, so it's, it's I mean... Come on. Uh, we started last week, we started a, a series I'm calling Emmanuel, God's Dwelling Places. So we, two weeks ago, we kind of, uh, in the last sermon of that series, as we talked about stranger stories, we previewed how God has interacted with us uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And we're really just kind of uh, focusing in through this series on those different places where God has dwelled. And one thing I didn't uh, post or put up here last week that I want you to uh, be familiar with, uh, this is a book I'm using to kind of guide my study in this. Uh, I haven't been here long enough to know how many readers we have. Um, if I said something at Mineral Springs, if I mentioned a book, I knew Miss Judy was going to have it on her Kindle within you know minutes. And so I want to I want to put out there if you, if you're interested in any of this stuff, um, commentaries are really good about synthesizing and organizing in ways where when you read it, sometimes you just don't, you don't get it. You know, you don't, you're not able to make those connections. And we'll talk about some today. So that's uh, Dr. Uh, Daniel. He goes by Danny, I found out. But he is from uh, Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Uh, Katie went to Henderson. Washita Baptist, where, where Danny is, is right across the street. And uh, we have to lay claim to that because we don't have a lot of uh, well-known Bible scholars, you know, that are that are widely known uh, in Arkansas, but, but Danny is one of them, is a, a fantastic writer where it's accessible, and I don't mean, you know, I'm calling anybody a dummy in here, but even as somebody who has a master's in, in divinity, I cannot stand to get a, a book that's so technical that I don't know who you're writing this to, you know, there's like three people who can understand it, uh, but everything that I have of, of Danny's is, is really accessible and really good. Uh, so I wanted to put that out there because this is kind of uh, 
shaping the way I've organized this in his book. Again, the temple and the tabernacle. Uh, you can't see it down there, but it says a, uh, uh, is it a story or a study? I think it's a study of God's dwelling places from Genesis to Revelation. So you can see where I, uh, where I came up with that. Uh, and, and the verse we use to, to kind of use as a foundation for this in the study is from Matthew 1, starting in verse 22. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what, church? God with us. So a lot of things as you study the Bible or have been taught, you go to, go to church, you hear different things, can kind of uh, change the way you view God. The Bible does a lot to teach you, and one of those ways is by names and by numbers, always important, kind of the a symbolism, uh, like, again, naming uh, Jesus, call, saying Jesus needs to be called Emmanuel, which means God, God with us. So what we need to ask is why is that important to God, to name Jesus that? I, I, I told you last week, you know, we named Evan, uh, Evan, because Evan means the same thing John means. So it's kind of a subtle Hey, uh, he's named after me, but, you know, you might not catch it. And uh, I'll admit to you, I don't know what either of those mean right now. <laughs> I know it's good, uh, you know, loves God or something like that, but it's not as important to us. So when we read, we don't really, you know, that doesn't really stick out to a lot of us. It, we don't find that important. But when the Bible uses some of this uh, names, numbers, symbolism, uh, we should start asking questions about it. And, I, and hopefully I can... Uh, do some things to, to help you with that. Uh, one thing I want to start with is I want to start with the question, what influences are we carrying with us into a study like this? So we ask the question again to kick off the series, what is your view of God? Is your view of God is that God is constantly pursuing you in relationship? Or is your view of God is that God is always watching so that he can, you know, erase you from the book of life. Because those two are completely different, aren't they? And so if I believe God is just always out to get me, that's going to color the way I see the rest of the Bible and see the rest of Scripture. But if I understand, as, as we're going to teach in this series, obviously, that God is always pursuing us, trying to have a relationship, well, that should tell me something else about Scripture, right? That should help me read Scripture in a different way than God is always upset it's kind of like the story, well, I'll just share mine first. I've shared with you guys, you know, I'm, I'm adopted from birth, and that was always growing up, that was a curiosity I had, you know, where did I come from? You know, what, are, what is my family like? Do I have brothers and sisters? I do, there's too many of them. Uh, you know, is, are there crazy people? Yes, a bunch. Uh, my great, or my grandfather had 22 kids, I think I've said that before, and not by the same woman. Um, several were involved, uh, but that's, that's part of my history now. I didn't know that. And so you wonder what, what makes you tick. You know, uh, my curiosity in my mid-20s was, well, what health issues do they have? You know, is there something, you know, as you get older, what do I need to be looking out for? We've got fantastic uh, blessing of modern medicine, but you kind of need to know what to be looking, looking out for, right? Um, where did this beautiful nose come from, right? <laughs> I know now, my mom. My sister, right? <laughs> she said, y'all, I didn't even realize I had a nose like this. And then Katie said, oh, y'all's noses look the same. And I, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. 
But we, we kind of get curious about where we come because where we have come from kind of influences our past. Anybody seen like uh, you, can, you can do a DNA swab and see all kinds of things now? Anybody done that in here? Like I had to do that when I met my uh, biological uh, family. So I met my mom and I was like, hey, open your mouth, swap. No, I, I said, hey, we're going to do a DNA, DNA test. And we did and got the results back. It was like, she cannot be ruled out as your mother because there's a 99.99999% chance she is your mother. So there's so much that goes into our, our past that maybe we don't even understand. Have you heard the story uh, of the granddaughter uh, that was, was making her grandmother's recipe? And she knew that every time her grandmother made that particular dish, she cut the end off of it. Yeah, got some heads nodding now. One day she started thinking, well, why is this? Why, why are we doing this? So she calls her grandmother up and says, you know, why do we cut the end off of this thing? And her grandmother says, I don't know why you're doing it, but my pan wasn't big enough, right? <laughs> and so there, there are things that we carry with us, influence that we carry with us, sometimes we can't explain. Even the very way that you read Scripture is influenced by hundreds of years of other people interpreting Scripture in a certain way. And I can, I can actually teach you about that. I, I can't wait to do that when we have Bible classes again, when we have a facility where we can do that. Uh, to kind of show you how we've been influenced and you don't even know it. And the person who taught you probably doesn't even know that it originated with so-and-so. And so one of those things that I want to bring out today is a, is a tremendous, not in a good way, tremendous influence in how we see God uh, on the negative side. And thank you for being here, Donna, because uh, she already knows that she's a, she's a week ahead of me. She, she posted on Facebook. She knew where I was going with this. Jonathan Edwards was a Puritan minister back in the 1700s, a very famous minister. His most famous sermon, uh, you're going to see an excerpt here. Uh, I'll, I'll just read it to you, and you'll see maybe I'll start preaching this way. <laughs> the God that holds you over the pit of hell. Much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire abhors you. You know he paused right there, just looked at everybody's eyeballs, didn't he? And he is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful, venomous serpent in ours. Yeah, thank you. Praise God he's not. Now, the backstory to this is Jonathan Edwards had a pretty, uh, uh, pretty rough congregation and he wanted to catch their attention, but is this even right? That's the question we have to ask, right? But for a lot of people... And there are a lot of, I mean, you could go to passages and say, look how mean God is, right? Look how terrible God is, okay? So there are things in the Bible that he's pulling together to, to have this. And so if your view of God is colored by something like this, that God hates you, you have sinned too much, you have pulled away, you're too dirty, you're too nasty, he can't stand to have you, he is so pure, you can't be anywhere around him. Look how he ends this sermon. I may end up in mine like this. The wrath of God Almighty is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. 
Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. Sinner. All of you. I mean, he came with it, didn't he? But what picture has he given us of God? We're going through this series, and so you know that every, every lesson that I bring in this is going to be the way in which God decides to come and dwell, live us all, alongside all of us. And Jonathan Edwards, in this, in this sermon, his picture of God is that God's not wanting to do that at all, is he? He doesn't like anything that's going on, and he'd much rather just dangle you over a fire like a spider. I mean, he threw out spiders and snakes in that, didn't he? I mean, that's as mad as it gets. And so some of us may have been uh, kind of indoctrinated in a way from Jonathan Edwards that you didn't even know. Anybody remember some hellfire and brimstone sermons? I mean, some of them were on similar line. I mean, maybe they weren't this, this bad, but some of them were on similar line. It's a... Uh, uh, it's a way to really put a fear into you about God. Now, we should have a respect for God. We should understand the importance of following God. But is God this? He's not. Scripture doesn't say he is. You better pay attention to all of it, right? Don't pick and choose. Read the whole thing. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to ask from that, kind of a, a, kind of a question uh, that might arise from that, that would go into Jonathan Edwards, you know, feelings. Can God be around sin? And some of you may be tempted to say, no, absolutely not. God is too holy. You kind of heard that in Jonathan Edwards' thing. He's too holy to be around sin. But then again, we, we look at Scripture and we see Jesus in the New Testament coming, and he tells the people, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And what did Jesus go around doing? He hung out with the wrong people, didn't he? And, and the church people knew it. The Pharisees looked at this and said, he can't be the son of God if he knew who he was hanging out with. Right? This association he has with these people who are uh, prostitutes, tax collectors who are stealing, things like that, they were upset with. Their idea of God was that God would never be around those types of people. That's from the church folks, right? Yet Jesus comes and he says things like, uh, you know, the, the ones who are well don't need a physician, right? It's only the sick that need someone sent to them. So Jesus comes out and he influences people. He hangs out with the wrong people. So you've got to decide, is God too pure and holy to be even around sin or is Jesus actually the picture of God who, who loves us so much that he would come and be around whatever it was to try and reach us, to try and influence us, to show us how much he loves us. One thing you have to understand, really in Bible study period, but especially uh, we're going to talk about uh, the tabernacle today. So last week we talked about the garden. We started in the Garden of Eden where God created so many things, and he wanted to dwell among his people there. Remember Adam and Eve, even after they had eaten the, uh, the fruit, they were sitting there and they heard God walking in the garden. And so what we talked about from that was 
That was something they were used to. They were used to God walking alongside them in the garden. Uh, But you, you go from that into a time of the Exodus. Now, the Exodus is a pivotal point within the Bible. Uh, Think about these people who have been enslaved in another country and they are freed. It's kind of like our 1776, right? Except we weren't enslaved, we were just angry that we were being taxed on our tea, right? We'd rather not have somebody over us. They were actually in slavery. I mean, we're still singing about bombs bursting in air, right? And so this is that important to them. And so what you have, I think it may be similar to our time now. So God, in the beginning, created all these things he said was good, were good, and he walked alongside Adam and Eve wanting that relationship. But after they were banished from the garden, you don't have God walking side by side with everyone. What you have is God interacting with the patriarchs. You have God talking to some specific people. If I can get that out. And I'm sure for a lot of people, they were probably wondering whether God was actually talking to those people, right? Maybe it's like us today where we think, well, maybe God's not talking anymore. Some people say they talk to him. I've never heard him. You know, and, and maybe God wants to talk to someone else and not me. But in, it, and it had been years and years and years and years, hundreds of years. And then all of a sudden, when they're in slavery, God shows back up to Moses, right? He begins this relationship with them that he is going to be their God. They're going to be his people. And God does all of these wonderful things. He sends all these plagues on Pharaoh to make him release them. They're, they're running away from Pharaoh's army. He, he uh, splits the water. They're able to walk through. And God is there for them in their time of need. Now, what's their response? Remember, they're sitting around the, the fire at deer camp, and all of a sudden the golden calf jumps out. And Aaron's like, I don't know. Just sitting here, dozed off for a second, woke up. There it is. But the story of the Exodus is how God shows back up for his people. He says this in Exodus 25. God is saying here to Moses, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. So what's God's desire here? be with us. That's a little different picture than what Jonathan Edwards just preached to us. If y'all really like that, I'll bring some Jonathan Edwards every week. We'll see what we can find, what we can do. Didn't see a lot of of fist pumps or anything. But we talk about the tabernacle here. Just a, a few pictures just to show you. It's probably been a while since you've, I don't know if during the week you just look up the tabernacle and remind yourself of what everything is. Maybe you do. But the tabernacle is is this place where God has decided he is going to dwell among his people again. And and so what you have is a 45 feet by 15 foot wide tent. And that's that's what you're seeing here. If I can hit the right thing right here. Uh, And that's a a big tent-like structure. And we'll we'll look at some more pictures here. So you've got a courtyard here. And uh, the courtyard's here. You've got the holy place. And you've got the holy of holies, where we'll talk about in just a minute, where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And so, what you can't see here is, is you see some of the way or some of the things that created this uh, that God asked for to be prepared. Uh, but as you uh, as you go into the courtyard, first of all, 
everyone is allowed in the courtyard. Why does this matter? Because in these times, to, to think about you, if you're talking about anybody other than God, our God that we know as God, the gods were seen as, as, uh, as gods that just kind of didn't want anything to do with humanity, you know, didn't want us around type of deal. Whereas God says, everyone's welcome in the courtyard. Now, as you go in, as most of you guys know, as you go in, now, everybody's allowed in the courtyard. Only the Levitical priests are allowed in the holy place, and only the high priest is allowed in the holy of holies. And even then, it's one time a year. It's, that room is filled with smoke so that we don't even understand what this means, but so the glory of, of God doesn't, like, consume him. So, so God says, I want to dwell with you. Now, it does have to be different, right? We're not walking in a garden. There have got to be some things put in place. I mean, remember, God was okay with walking side by side with Adam and Eve, and they didn't have a thing on, right? But now we've got to do some things. It's got to change, but he still wants to dwell with them. Uh, one, one thing that I, I want to point out from this, and hopefully our church will be this kind of church, but as, as God asked for all of these things, you see all of these uh, all these outer coverings, even the, the fence was a, a covering of, of sorts. As you got in, the, the closer you got to the Holy of Holies, the more expensive uh, the things on the wall, the curtains, the embroidery, all of these things, very expensive. Even the purple dye that they used was, was like a snail shell. And it's called Murex. And I think it's like you had to get a thousand of them to get like a centimeter of purple dye. I mean, super labor intensive. Uh, when you think of Lydia in the New Testament, she was a dealer in purple. I mean, she, she had some money. And so what, what God asked here, and he says, tell the people to bring all this stuff, to donate these things. And the problem they had at some point, they brought so much that Moses said, all right, we've got enough. Wouldn't that be a good problem to have in church? Next week, we're not going to give. Y'all brought too much money. We don't know what to do with it. Just leave it at home, right? But God wants to dwell among his people, though it is different. One more picture of this just so you can see the whole thing. Uh, again, the courtyard is, is anybody comes in through the entrance uh, curtain there, uh, the holy place and the most holy place uh, right there where the, uh, the high priest could go in. I, I want to uh, point out some things as we go through this just for a second. What uh, people like Dr. Hayes are really good at reading uh, commentaries on, again, is putting things together, is tying things together. This was something I was not good at. I didn't see it at all uh, before I went to school. So uh, people who give their life to be in the Word of God, that is their job to, to sit and teach students and all this stuff, they're really good at, at tying these strands together. I want you to notice this because this is very powerful. He says, the instructions for building the tabernacle in Exodus 25 through 31 have several interesting parallels to the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. Just as the creation account is structured around the repetition of, and God said, we read those all last week, those of you who were here, I read all of those, I skipped around and read, and God said, and God said, and it was good, and it was good, right? Okay, just as that had seven times, and God said, notice this, so in the instructions for building the tabernacle, we find the repeated sevenfold statement of uh, then, and I, that's a typo, then the Lord said. And there's all your scripture references there. Again, the symbolism 
It's something that may not jump out to us, but it was very important to them. So when God created his ideal, he created the Garden of Eden. He said seven times, which what does seven mean in the Bible, y'all? I heard it both. Perfect and complete. That's right, both of them. So God created. It was perfect. It was complete. It was done. And so uh, you, you, if your vision of God is, well, he was angry with Adam and Eve, and you know, he, they, he was, they, they sinned. But if your vision of God is now he, he is so um, upset with them that he wants to cast them into a fire, treat them like a spider, treat them as we look at a snake, then why does God want to do this? This ties us back to the creation story seven times. God is doing something else. It is different, right? But it's still God wanting to dwell with his people. Also, both accounts mention gold, precious jewels, and cherubim. All right, do you, did you catch that in the garden where even in the garden it talked about uh, gold and onyx and all of these things? I mean, God had it laid out for us, which means what? If I was to create a place for you that looked like that, what would you think about me? I really care about you, right? And that's what God does. And even here, what you see is precious jewels. You see this gold. You see cherubim. It says, finally, at the close of the creation account, God rests on the seventh day. You will remember this? Uh, from Genesis, the final tabernacle instruction given by God to Moses is the reminder to keep the Sabbath. You see that tie? The last thing is, is something about the Sabbath. God is reinstituting this relationship. He wants to walk alongside us. This is a picture I think most uh, interesting thing about the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant. Where is it? Is it in Ethiopia? Do they really have it behind all those walls? I don't know. They won't let me in. I mean, this is ornate, right? Do you, do you guys remember what's in the uh, Ark of the Covenant? Tell me what it is. Manna, staff, Ten Commandments. That's right. So you've, you've got the Ten Commandments. You've got the, the law of God telling you. Are those, are those super harsh laws that, that God put in there? Things we don't agree with. Don't murder, steal, you know, all that good stuff. You, you've got manna, which, again, the symbolism is, or the reminder is, hey, remember you, when you were in the desert complaining that whole time? And I was still walking alongside of you, and even in the desert when you couldn't find food, I made it rain from heaven. The same thing goes for the staff, uh, Aaron's staff that even produced almonds. Anybody like some almond butter? I got to think somebody crushed some of those almonds and thought, this is it right here now. I'm going to make me a sandwich. No. <laughs> but, but the symbolism, this reminder is from God to say, look, I'm with you. Now, where you see the cherubim uh, across on top of the, the Ark of the Covenant. Where's the last time we saw cherubim before this at the end of the garden story? What were they doing? Yeah, what were they guarding it from? Can't get back in. That's right. You're not going to get back in. This is a reminder again. Listen, you, you, you didn't do the right thing. This is, but, but this is, they're covering what's known as the mercy seat. That's not a, a sit your rear end down on. It's like the seat of learning, the center. Okay, so this is the center of mercy, and, and, and they're right here uh, over that. 
And so you get all the symbolism back to the Garden of Eden. I would have never gotten this out of not going back to, or not going to college for this stuff. Because how, I mean, just to, just to tie this all together, to bring it back. And God is just saying so loudly through this, because I'm reading it with American eyes, those things aren't popping out to me. But God is saying so loudly, I love you, I want to dwell with you. How else can he say it? A couple of uh, points here, and then we'll, we'll let you go. Number one is, and I've already said it, so we won't, we won't hang on it. God's desire is to dwell among his people. Not to hide behind the corner just waiting for you to mess up or to do that thing that you've been struggling with. God's desire uh, is to dwell with you because he loves you. He cares about you. That's the story of Scripture. Not Jonathan Edwards' version. Number two, God is willing to adjust his dwelling place. Now, we may think, well, God never changes. Well, God is willing to change his mind on things. You think back to Jonah when God was going to wipe the Ninevites off the face of the earth, right? But they repented. And God said, okay, we'll, we'll change that. Well, even in this, even when humanity walks away from him, decides his garden, as perfect as it was, wasn't good enough for us, God is still willing, though it changes, to dwell again with us. His desire is to do that. He's even willing to change his dwelling place. What we didn't see today was a perfect garden, did we? Everything taken care of, all our uh, wants and, and needs and everything taken care of. No, they're, they're traveling with this tabernacle. But still, God is willing to be there with them. Number three, we don't own enough mirrors. Now, a buddy of mine likes to say, and I, I like this, uh, you need to, whenever you're you know, studying the Bible or whatever, you need to have a mirror and the Bible. So you can look at yourself and kind of self-examine. Now, I say that understanding that sometimes mirrors lie, right? You, know, you walk by it sometimes, you, you flex a little bit or look sideways. and Some people look at it and they're a healthy weight, but what they see in the mirror is something that's uh, you know, way overweight and you, you kind of have a distorted view. We need to have a healthy view of, of number one, who God is and who, who God is calling us to be. The interesting thing is we talked about, you know, everyone being allowed in the courtyard is what God calls us, and you'll see Peter call us in the New Testament, is the whole nation is, are considered priests. You are considered priests, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. That is you. That is what God thinks of you. That doesn't sound like the abhorrence that we read about early, is it? And so, so the question is, you know, are you living this way? Are, are you able to self-examine? Are you able to do something with that? Are you able to live a holy life as a priest for God? Because there are so many things in this world right now that want to drag us into the mud, into the muck. Uh, we could we probably talk about it too much, but I think it's probably the most destructive thing we have in our country right now, and that's our, our political situation, our divisiveness. Anybody know that the political you know, mess is a, just a cesspool right now? Anybody know that in here? Well, let me just offer this. If, if at your house the news is on 24-7, I don't care which channel, turn it off. Stop wandering around neck deep in all this mess. 
Because there are so many things that are trying to drag us away. God is trying to have this relationship with us. He's trying to be there for us. And we're too concerned with all this other mess, getting upset about who's doing what on that side. And I want to be my side to be right. We're saying things like, let's go Brandon as if that's a good thing. And we know full well what it means. And all of a sudden, we, we've tried to baptize something that's very much evil and made that a part of our lives when God has called us to be a royal priesthood. And God has said, I want to do everything I can. And as we'll see coming up, he'll even send his son, won't he? And so the question I'll leave with you is, where is God in your life? Are you, are you trying to dwell with him, or are you walking away because of something else? Is something else pulling you aside? Do you feel like God is still after you? Or do you feel like God loves you. Where are you right now? Where is God in your life? I pray that for each of us, we're living a life that does look in the mirror in a healthy manner. That we're able to look and say, you know what? I haven't been right. I've allowed some things to pull me the wrong direction, whether it be political or not. I've gotten too involved in some things that really I don't even, I don't even recognize myself anymore. But just know this, that wherever you are, God loves you even more than that thing you've been dealing with, even more than that bad mistake you've been making. And all he wants is for you to say, I'm back. I want to come home. And that's who God is. So if you have any needs this morning, we want to offer a, a song of invitation. If you'd like to, for us to pray uh, for you, I've got a few prayer cards already. We'd love to do that. I'd love for you to leave this place right now with the confidence knowing that God loves you and you are right with him. Would you do that as we stand and sing?